I'm so happy you're here. I really am. You know, uh, I wanted to talk with you a little. Can you guys hear me okay? This, these microphone things are kind of weird for me. A little closer. Check. I'm good. Okay, so, yeah. How are you? Thumbs up if you're doing great. Yeah? Thumb down if you thought about going home today. About halfway. Good. It's about what we expect. First day. First full day. So I'm going to talk with you guys a little bit about this practice, a little bit about my own practice, kind of how I got uh, involved with meditation, with Buddhism. Maybe read a little thing or two. You know, I, I refer to this, uh, this practice a lot as mind training. I kind of talked a little bit about it earlier today during questions. That this mind training has been going on for thousands of years. Thousands and thousands of years. And that um, many teachers, you know, many enlightened, fully enlightened beings have taught this uh, same practice that we're doing. Same practice that you're being introduced to or that you have been practicing already for many years. You know, many, across many different traditions. And one, one teacher, you know, was Siddhartha Gautama, otherwise known as the Buddha, 2,550 years ago, give or take. And you know, I was, uh, I was introduced to these practices when I was 16. So I was, you know, about as old as some of you. And I was introduced to this, to this practice from uh, one of my psychologists, actually. I had a real big uh, anger problem as a kid. And I was um, court-ordered to counseling. <laughs> and that was fun. And it also was really helpful. So this guy was a psychologist, but he also was a practitioner. He was a, medit he was a meditator. And, um, and he gave me some real basic tools, you know, kind of like what we've been doing today. Breathe in, breathe out, know that you're breathing in. And that, that opened up a huge door for me. And then later on, uh, you know, a few years later, I learned um, through my uh, a traditional uh, martial arts practice, I learned uh, about Sazen or, or, you know, Zen sitting, uh, which was really just meditation again. But um, there wasn't really any instructions. <laughs> it was Sazen. And then we just sat and let our mind run wild most of the time. <laughs> 
And one of the things that I realized real early on uh, in, my, uh, in my karate do uh, Zen practice was that um, the mind did kind of like what, like what Ebony was saying uh, this morning, yeah? Whatever it wanted, yeah? Just kind of would go. But then I started over years, a few years of really, you know, I'm talking three or four years of no real meditation instruction. Just the little bit I had received from a psychologist uh, several years you know, prior. And um, so, yeah. So I started to notice some themes. I started to notice that I was rehashing a lot of what had happened uh, during my day or during the, med- the, the, the uh, practice, the, med- the martial arts practice. Or uh, in the beginning, because we would do it in the beginning and the end, I would start to notice uh, a lot of rehearsing what it was going to be like, what I'd like it to be like. Oh, I hope I get this move right. Like, this is why the theme that I noticed over years of martial arts practice and just this real simple uh, noticing what's happening. So, you know, I had up until this time, uh, I had this kind of a tendency, and it was, only, it was, it was mainly about uh, avoiding pain, painful emotions, uh, painful situations, of which I had a lot, uh, and seeking pleasure. I really wanted to feel good in my life. Uh, and the way that I did that wasn't always healthy. You know, drug addiction and, you know, not, it wasn't, didn't start off as drug addiction. It started off as just trying to feel good and then became uh, drug addiction yeah. as the feel good always wore off. And then the uh, unsettled quality of pain and uh, thoughts and memories of my childhood would come back. So this, you know, avoidance of uh, painful feelings and this seeking out of uh, pleasurable sensations or experiences for me was a strategy. It was a, a useful strategy, actually. Has anyone else tried that strategy? Yeah, most of us do at some point. And actually, this teaching really says that it's instinctual. To avoid pain and to seek pleasure. And so this practice is really kind of putting it right up front. Even just in the sitting in the posture, just trying to sit in meditation, there is, uh, there's a physical pain that comes up as well as you know, all of the emotional stuff that some of you have even begun to probably uh, remember, experience, rehash, rehearse. So I just wanted to acknowledge that, that that's, that's pretty standard with this mind. So the problem with my strategy of uh, trying to be in pleasurable experiences and sensations all the time is that it actually always wore off, first of all. And second of all... Um, they're, they're, they're left, I was left with a, a deeper sense of dissatisfaction in my life into my early 20s. I had, you know, had some experience of meditation, but not, never did what you guys are doing. You guys are so brave. Never would I have done this when I was a kid. 
It just didn't come across that way. But in my 20s, um, I did. I went to my first young adult retreat at Spirit Rock. And um, it was like the second young adult retreat they ever had there. And, uh, you know, I sat like you guys are doing, like you guys did today, with the pain of the body and the emotions and all of the, and the mind just doing what it does. And, um, and it wasn't easy. You know, my first day I wanted to leave. I wanted to go get a cheeseburger. I wanted to get out, you know. It was too much work. But I didn't, you know. Anyway, so I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that I stayed. So, you know, to me this practice is really about rebellion. I'm pretty into rebellion. And before, uh, uh, before I really learned, before I went to this first meditation um, practice, this first uh, retreat, I rebelled outwardly in all kinds of ways, you know. Again, trying to kind of keep uh, pain away and pleasure alive. And it ended up not working either, you know, this kind of outward rebellion of, you know, screw authority and I'm going to do it my way and I don't want to go to school, all those different things, you know. But I realized that really all I was doing was just pushing things away as a protection. And then this practice, when I first came to this retreat, you know, I started to know, notice that uh, really no matter how hard I tried, that these thoughts uh, and feelings, they kept coming. Uh, especially when I got quiet. So I didn't like to get quiet. But the more and more that I, you know, kind of practiced, the easier it got, little by little. So one of the things that I remember is really about this, uh, this practice. Is how much I realized when I went to this retreat that I couldn't control my mind. My mind was out of control. Like, so, and that's, you know, one of the things that I, I was taught later on is that that's the first insight. When you realize, oh, wow, my mind's out of control. And, the, and if I try to not think that I can't, I can't control that. So then what do we do? This is why we have this anchor. This is why we have these techniques. Uh, and so that's also why I was really happy that it came up earlier today about um, we're not trying to clear our minds. But there's something else happening. So I began to see that even though I would try to focus my attention on the breath and the body, off it would go. Right? Wandering mind. Out of control. So, 
I don't know, I guess I wanted to talk about stress and dis the dissatisfaction that would arise within the thoughts and the feelings. And that I, I come to learn a term you know, called dukkha or suffering. I think we're all familiar with this term, suffering. And what it really means, like this quality of dissatisfaction. You guys heard of that term before? Raise your hand if you've heard the term suffering, dissatisfaction. Okay. Now, uh, some of you actually didn't raise your hand. That's interesting. So one of the ways that I think about this is stress. Mind or heart stress. And that this technique, uh, even though difficult, is a stress relief. It relieves the tension of our heart and mind. So on retreat, like I was saying, uh, in my 20s, you know, I met this teacher. And after a few days of this meditation practice, he just, he kind of, he just came out and he was giving a talk like this. And he said, have you figured it out yet? And I was like, no, I hadn't figured out anything except for that my mind is out of control. And he was like, that you're not your thoughts. You're not your feelings. And that was new. That was like a novel. I'd, I'd never heard that before. And it really helped me. And so I'm actually offering that uh, to you now. To really look through this practice as we're focusing on the breath and the body. Thoughts come and go. Feelings arise and pass away. Are they your feelings? Who here has feel, felt sad? Raise your hand if you felt sad in your life. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. Joy. Loss. Grief. It's not my feelings as much as our feelings. And thoughts, you know, they're there. So how do we work with them? There's lots of different ways, and we're going over some of them. You know, one of the things I think about is, you know, that in, that in meditation, we're not, we're not trying to stop our minds from thinking. We're not trying to stop or avoid feeling. But instead, uh, uh, and we're not engaging with it as an enemy, but instead we're, we're really trying to uh, uh, befriend our thoughts and not let them preoccupy our every moment, especially like here within meditation. When I first, uh, you know, realized that my mind was out of control, then I felt, I felt like I had to do battle with it because I came from this martial arts background, this this like real strict kind of karate background and I thought, okay, I got to do battle with my demons. And, and I, it took me a long time to realize that that wasn't the way, actually. And like Spring was talking about earlier, you know, that really befriending my thoughts and feelings and seeing that they arise and pass away was the biggest gift that I've gotten uh, in this practice. And then that learning to kind of just let things go or let things be. So just to talk a little bit about uh, mindfulness.
You know, mindfulness is the clear and silent awareness that we are thinking. So it's this clear awareness that we are thinking, that that's actually what's happening instead of trying to uh, uh, ignore or erase our thoughts. I call it a fullness of mind. An intentional awareness of what's happening here and now. Uh, one of my teachers kind of uses this uh, little, it's like, he called a mantra, right before a meditation practice. And if it fits for you, then, then I invite you to try to use it tomorrow. The, 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 uh, just saying the, this phrase, for the sake of meditation, there is nothing worth thinking about. And just see what happens with that. Just a little, like, just for this meditation period, there's nothing worth thinking about. It doesn't mean thoughts aren't going to come. It doesn't mean feelings aren't going to arise. But it's really about allowing uh, them all to just move through our experience. I don't know why there's something about the present moment that can feel, that can feel so scary. But obviously, if you're here, then you're You're curious. As I was. Curious. What I've come to find out is that, um, and this isn't a big insight, it's something everyone in this room can find out really easily, maybe tonight, is that the relief of that suffering is really found in the present moment. And I was always looking for the pleasurable experience to numb it out, or the avoidance of what was painful, which kind of locked it in. So most of my life was about uh, pushing away or, or, or seeking some way to numb out of what's happening and or to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, lock in, you know, these feelings or, or, or things that I, wasn't, I didn't want to look at, I kind of had to lock them away versus letting them go, letting them go through. So that's what I love about this environment, actually. Because this environment, it's like going to a monastery, right? Where uh, we've taken great care. There's uh, people making sure that your needs are met. We have these precepts, which are really our, the way I like to think about them, they're protection from ourselves, you know? Because in the times in my life, I don't know about you, but when I've caused harm, I've really just hurt myself. And maybe others were harmed as well, but really most of the, the pain was, was, was inward. Same thing with when I was dishonest or lied or stole, unwise with the sexuality, all of it. The use of intoxicants. So really, I like to think about that. This is part of that, um, part of that going, uh, you know, going a little deeper into this present moment, into what's happening now, and then seeing eh, what happens when we, when we just do what's suggested. 
what might happen if we're not our thoughts and we're not our feelings? You know, when I first heard that, the initial question came up, then what are we? I hope you find that out. So one of the other uh, things I wanted to talk about is, you know, what's, it's often called monkey mind, right? You guys have experienced monkey mind, this kind of uh, restless, kind of bouncing from one thought to another thought to another thought. And the reason why I like it called monkey mind is because I've, I've been to some places where there's monkeys. I've been attacked by two monkeys, actually, in my life for no other reason than just having something shiny on my body. And, uh, you know, it happens. And, but watching monkeys, the way they jump and swing from, from branch to branch, from tree to tree, grasping. And this is what I've noticed that the mind does. Maybe you've noticed this too. Maybe you've experienced some of this today. So this uh, uh, grasping. So we can work with that. And it also can be called restlessness or sleepiness, right? It's another, it's another aspect. Hindrances, things that get in the way of our present time awareness, away from this mind training. So learning to let go. Let go of thoughts. Or just let them be, right? This is a practice of non-grasping. So the monkey mind is constantly grasping at, what, what about this? What about that? And if we can learn to just let go. It sounds kind of strange, but it's possible. So learning to let go Learn to let go of what? Regret. Learn to let go of uh, worry. Planning. Seeking pleasure, avoiding pain. This is what this mind training is about. Where we're learning to rebel against our own mind's tendency to grasp or push. To me, I think about what else is there to do besides really study this mind, study this body, study this process of being alive. That's why last night and today when I said how happy I am that you're here, because I can't really think of a better way to spend a new year. I've tried a lot of ways. This has been the last, this is what I've been doing for the last several years. So I just hope that you're, you're uh, as fired up about practice, you know. We had some practice today. Tomorrow, we're really kind of diving in. Tonight, every moment while we're here, and even in our own lives, but we're not you know, outside, but we're not there yet. 
every moment. I don't know if I have a whole lot more to say. I just wanted to um, leave with a little bit, like end with a little bit of uh, encouragement. One of my favorite teachings from the Buddha is um, the teachings of the Kalama people, the Kalama Sutta. What I love about this, and I'll just tell the story a little bit and then, and then read the teaching. So in the time of the Buddha, just like now, there's there was sages and great teachers and people that had this style of practice and that style of practice. And um, there was this village that, that the Kalama people lived in that had a lot, it was on a trade route. So there was a lot of uh, people passing through this village and a lot of... Um, you know, great masters and teachers, you know, claiming to have this uh, way to enlightenment and that way to enlightenment. And the uh, Kalama people would listen and they would try a practice and then the next week another, another teacher would come and have a totally different practice and say, no, no, that was false, what you were doing before. That was the wrong teaching. This is the right teaching. And the Kalama people started to get discouraged. And, you know, rightly so. They were like, what's up? Every week there's someone new telling us this is the way to do it. And then so, you know, the, the, the Buddha came to this village. It was actually outside the village. And uh, some of the Kalama people came to the Buddha in this, uh, at this time. And they, they were kind of like, so what, what's your secret teaching that you're going to give us? And how do we know that it's any better or, or any less than what other teachers have said to us? You know, how, do we, how can we tell whether this is the true teaching or the, the, the true path to awakening, to, lighten, to enlightenment? You know, the reason why I love this teaching is because I had that same question. Maybe you do too. And so this is, what the, this is what the Buddha had to say. This is kind of paraphrasing, but the, the point is made. Basically, you know, the Buddha said to the Kalama people, do not believe something because you've heard it before. Because it's an old tradition. Because it's written in religious or other books. Because superficially it seems true. Logically or philosophically, it seems true. Teachers or elders say it is true, even famous ones. The Buddha told the Kalama people, only believe something that you yourself have experienced the happiness of a practice or that leads to the relief of suffering in your life and the life of others. So only believe your own experience. Trust in your own experience. And find, uh, and find freedom through clear seeing 
of the truth in nature through your own direct experience. And the Buddha even went so far as to say, even if I tell you something that doesn't fit for you, disregard it. You know, follow your own experience. See for yourself. And if this practice doesn't work for you, then disregard it. And I've always loved that because it was so, it was, to me it was so revolutionary that this practice is so revolutionary in that way. That it's, instead of rebelling outward, it's about rebelling inward for me. About doing the inward uh, act of revolutionary action. Right? That if I can get clear in my own heart and mind, then who knows what can happen. But to really start our own, we have to start within our own heart and mind. Just like with the metta practice that we did earlier. That self-love can often be the hardest. So my hope is that, you know, we can have... um, we can have some practice uh, over the next few days of looking inward, looking within. I was thinking about some other rebels, some other uh, revolutionary teachers and prophets uh, amongst different traditions that to me uh, the Buddha is part of. Jesus Christ came to mind. Mahatma Gandhi, Socrates, Einstein, all rebel thinkers outside the box, not following the norm. Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, she was a rebel. And then uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, I, I believe that's her, how you pronounce her name, Aung San Suu Kyi, who um, is a Burmese uh, rebel and was just recently kind of uh, released from being kind of in captivity. She was really in kind of a home arrest and oppressed by the government in, in Burma. And just, you know, sat in truth. in her own practice. And to me, all of these people have done that. They've said, look within. Free your own heart. Free your own mind. See what else is there. And I really think that's our urge. You know, that's our hope. It's my hope, anyway. For all of us here. So I'm going to close with another, just a a little teaching from the Buddha. It's called Radiant Presence. It's a teaching from the Dhammapada. The Dhammapada is a a group of uh, eloquent teachings from the Buddha. However young, the seeker who sets out upon the way shines bright over the world. But day and night, the person who is awake shines in the radiance of the spirit. 
And here's the instruction. Meditate. Live purely. Be quiet. Do your work with mastery. Like the moon, come out from behind the clouds and shine. I'm just going to read that again. However young, the seeker who sets out upon the way shines bright over the world. But day and night, the person who is awake shines in the radiance of the spirit. Meditate. Live purely. Be quiet. Do your work with mastery. Like the moon, come out from behind the clouds and shine. So this is what we're hoping for us all. And so let's, let's just do that right now. Let's just sit for a few moments. So just, just sitting up, finding a position. Do your work with mastery. Allowing the eyes to close. Connecting in with the breath. Softening the belly. Breathing in. Know that you're breathing in. Breathing out. Know that you're breathing out. Like the moon, come out from behind the clouds, shine. So I want to thank you for your time and attention. I think we're going to have a break, some snack, and then we're going to have our small groups. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.